The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. When life hands you a unique shift, what happens next? The gift is the shift. Welcome to The Sky's the Limit with your host, Karen Levitt. In our program, you will hear from people who have discovered the gift, whether through personal experience or those that are helping others through this experience. You'll find the next hour to be a motivating and encouraging one. Now, here is Karen Levitt. Hi, this is Karen Levitt, and thank you for joining me for this episode of The Sky's the Limit. My featured guest this week is Michael Polanski, and I'd like to share a bit about Michael. So... He began working as a head coach for LaSalle Regina University, and he was writing his team for practice when minutes before he found out about his son, Max, who was nine months old and diagnosed with cerebral palsy. He was five months into his head coaching career. He was standing before a group of fit, able-bodied young men, and as he said, I started my usual practice and warm-up address. But that day was different. As he began, I informed my team of Max's diagnosis, and, my, and Michael began to cry. The players began to tear up with him, and a couple of minutes later, I told them we needed to have a good practice because Max would never have a chance to have a good practice. And it was with that that I would like to warmly welcome Michael Polanski. Thank you very much, Karen. Pleasure to be here. You're welcome. And, uh, you know, that... That paragraph that I read about your journey is is a lot. I mean, you, you know, first of all, you're in a new position as a head coach, right, for university. You're getting ready to play, and then you get news that a parent never wants to hear, and you show that raw emotion. What was that like for you? Yeah, it was... Um you know, emotional is the right word. I mean, Max was born along with his twin, Megan, um, mm-hmm. at 26 and a half weeks. So they were three and a half months premature. And, you know, obviously there's complications that come when you're born two pounds, two ounces, and two pounds, four ounces. But, you know, everything, there was no initial diagnosis of cerebral palsy. If anything, you know, Max seemed to come out with a clear brain. And um, there was actually concerns of Megan, which you know, never matriculated. And then, you know, we could see maybe three, four months in that Max wasn't quite at the same stage that Megan was. And then to get that call, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's tough. It's devastating. And then literally you, you know, put the phone down, get into a van with, you know, 13 real healthy college student athletes. Um mm-hmm. But another thing happened, though. At that time, it was like our focus and my focus as a coach became more clear. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I was lucky enough to get a master's in sports psychology as an assistant coach at University of Iowa. And, you know, I spent a lot of time studying motivational techniques and 
and tension techniques and things like that. And, you know, I was a coach, like a lot of coaches that say to their team, hey, not everyone's as lucky as you guys. Not everyone gets this opportunity. And it was kind of like, who is this not everyone? It was this anonymous face. And, mm-hmm. you know, at that moment when I learned about Max, you know, that became Max. You know, the, it kind of it put an individual, you know, right. with a message, which made it a lot more powerful. And it really inspired our guys, you know, and, and it gave us a common cause to rally around. You know, mm-hmm. and Max right away was part of our family, you know, and that's the one thing with athletics and mostly all college groups is, you know, it creates a second family for you. So, you know, when somebody's going through a hardship, everybody goes through the hardship and, and you learn from it. And right. um, and what it really did was make it real and make mm-hmm. it, you know, something you could look at every day, something you could touch and say, listen, you know, we have an opportunity to become the best people we can be. And mm-hmm. some people don't get that opportunity, namely Max does not get that opportunity. Right. For no reason of his, you know, it just happens. And so from that point forward, you know, we wanted to make a conscious effort of we're going to give our best. And what we found is that our best was good enough to win a lot of championships. So, you know, it, it was, even though it was a devastating day, it was probably a transformational day for mm-hmm. me as a coach. And I think it helped you know, start to shape the lives of the players that we were able to come in contact with for the next six years. Absolutely. And, you know, you just said something you said that was, you know, transformational for you. And I, you know, for a coach, and I've, I've, you know, played sports myself, so, and I've grown up in a sporting family. So for a coach to be, um, you know, you made yourself vulnerable to your team. They actually saw this inside of you and you shared it. And you said that that was transformational for you, you know, so I think, you know, you were um, a really bright light and a mentor to these players because you let you truly let them see a lot of coaches would have, um, quote unquote, sucked it up, you know, and and go out there and do it. And you you would have kept kept a stiff upper lip and you you let it let it all go. You let it flow and you were real and you were vulnerable. And I talk a lot about that on the program that I. I feel like vulnerability is actually a strength. When you can be vulnerable and be open, then you can allow for greatness and other wonderful things to happen. You know, so so I want to commend you on that for for being so open. I really think that you you show these players and everyone um, a great a great lesson in life. Really, that we don't need to keep everything inside of us, and that is when we share, we truly grow. Mm-hmm. Because you know, I appreciate it. You know, looking back at it now, and at that time, you know, I was 30 years old. I was yeah, I was lucky to be armed with, like I said, a master's in sports psychology. I would say before mm-hmm. venturing into that degree, I would have been that coach you were describing earlier. Um, mm-hmm. You know, hey, i got to show this is we're tough, and this, uh, nothing affects us and all those things. But, you know, through the, through the research and through diving in, you realize, you know, leadership's about relationships. And relationships mm-hmm. are about being vulnerable. And at the end of the day, feeling safe. You know, we exactly. say that, it, you know, at the end of the day, a positive relationship is a place you can go where you're safe. And even in a short period of time, we'd come close as a team, even though it was only five months for us. We, we spent some time together of getting to know each other and creating a relationship. And I felt safe to be able to share that. And And I think, like you said, I think the... The byproduct of is that the guys then knew, well, they could share anything. And mm-hmm. this was a safe place. And this is a place where, 
you know, we can really work through some things. We can share some things. And the biggest thing is, you know, when tough things happen, you know, you need that group. You need that support. A lot of people do isolate themselves. And mm-hmm. that just, you know, kind of builds on the trauma. And, you know, at that time, 17 years ago, was I thinking mm-hmm. that, hey, we are going to create this program for people with disabilities to get them included in the community, and we're also going to help, you know, share our experiences with college students to help mm-hmm. them then get out and share the message around what a good relationship looks like, the value of being included, the value of being part of a group, and really the value, the value of quality relationships. So, you know, it's been quite a journey, that's for sure. It has been, and you know, like I said, um, you know, you you've certainly got a, your plate full, if you will. You you know, your coaching career, your family. You know, you want to be available to your son Max and all of his needs, and then, um, you know, his he he became withdrawn at at a point in time, and um, his physical condition began to worsen. So, what was that like? Because through all of this, you somehow were inspired to create your nonprofit. Right? Yeah. Well, exactly. So what happened was, you know, as Max's needs kind of came to light as he got older, and when he turned about six, seven, got into the school systems, you know, it was clear that he was going to need, you know, my full attention. And and you can't do that as a college coach. Your college coach, your time, especially during the season, is monopolized, and it's hard to have family time. So, you know, made the decision to get out of coaching, mm-hmm. get off the road I'm a high school administrator, and never did I think that that decision, you know, would make Max lose his group. Um, mm. And then the journey started of the next six years, you know, seeing Max's, you know, his quality of life uh, decrease, where he cried himself to sleep, hated to go to school. And like you said, he did. For, he got sick every year, and sick was uh, three weeks in Children's Hospital, going to make it, not going to make it. And, you know, any bug just went at him, and the resilience just wasn't there. And and it took me a while to kind of figure out what the heck is going on here. And But then, back to my master's, I remember the number one piece of research that stuck with me was that after the age of 12, people are most influenced by their peers. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I first heard that, I said, geez, I better do a good job raising my kids till they're 12, because they're not going to listen to me anymore. <laughs> and number two, I hope that you know, my sons and daughters' friends have the same views and thoughts that I do, and if they're mm-hmm. sharing it, then we're good. And then mm-hmm. as Max approached 12, it was like, I looked at it and said, well, who are his peers going to be? Who does he hang around with? He's in a school with all people with disabilities. Mm-hmm. He comes home and has absolutely no opportunity to be included in any after-school um, activity. Mm-hmm. It was like, what the heck's going to happen here? And then, you know, there was, what happened was there was an organization that was just getting started called Team Impact. And my okay. brother Mark, who actually is a Villanova alum, was on the 85 national championship team, so we were very happy this weekend. Um, he, they created kind of like a extended make-a-wish for kids with cancer, um, okay. where they would connect them with college groups and help the child get through their treatments and then get them back into their group. And I looked at him and said, that's what Max is missing. Now, he doesn't fit your demographic because he's not going to die. He doesn't have a life-threatening disease, but he needs a group. And so, you know, with that idea, 
we approached Northeastern University because I knew the basketball staff. I was doing okay. some work with Northeastern around some veteran services and said, hey, would you guys be interested, you know, Max being part of your team? And, you know, after a little bit of time and us kind of talking through it, they said yes. And then all of a sudden it was, you know, right in front of my eyes, his quality of life changed. And, mm-hmm. you know, he looked forward to going to practice. He no longer cried himself to sleep. He was still, you know, struggling with some things for sure. But mm-hmm. it was clear that when it was time, you know, the night before a practice or a game, he was excited. And he was ready to go to sleep and he was ready to get up. And I, I used to say it was like Christmas. And then, nice. you know, he, he was back with his guys and, you know, we started to see him improve. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, he still had, as most kids with disabilities, you know, when things didn't go his way, especially with he, he communicates with a communication device. So, you know, he would have meltdowns and mm-hmm. temper tantrums when things didn't go his way. And as I tell the story, you know, Northeastern, the first year, uh, we struggled. And so we lost a lot of games. And every time we would lose, he would have a meltdown. And, you know, I didn't see that as much when he was with our team because our team didn't lose that much. Um, uh-huh. But we, you know, tried to talk with him about, hey, you know, now you're part of the team. And, you know, trying to get him to regulate himself. And and at first, we didn't really know what we were doing. We just knew that we wanted Max near the team. So he would sit kind of adjacent to the bench. He was close to it, but not on the bench. And then what mm-hmm. it did was that allowed me to kind of take him out of the stadium when he was having a, a meltdown and try to talk him down. But that wasn't really shifting his behavior. And, mm-hmm. you know, we did get through the, I mean, the first year, and it was great. And it just so happened that, you know, when we went to Max's IEP meeting, the individual education plan meeting, after his first year with Northeastern, we started to hear the teachers and the staff saying, since joining Northeastern, Max's achievement has improved. Since joining Northeastern, his attendance has been better because he didn't get sick this year. Mm-hmm. And oh, by the way, he hasn't gotten sick in the last three years. Since joining Northeastern, he's more of a leader in the school because the players come out to the school to visit him, and he shows them around, and this is my team. And so I was listening to that, saying, geez, I think maybe we're on to something here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then the thought kind of came back to me and said, you know, yeah, maybe it's just if you can get connected with typical peers, you know, mm-hmm. maybe your behavior can change, your achievement can change. Um, so then, you know, kind of went on to our our next discussion at that meeting was around Max's transition. Because um, anybody that has a diagnosed disability gets a transition plan because in most states at the age of 21, you're no longer able to access school resources. So you have to figure mm-hmm. out what are you going to be doing for the rest of your life. And the goal is starting at the age around 14 is to put a plan together. And when we put a plan together, you know, they talked with Max and said, hey, you know what, he, he loves sports, he wants to be a sports reporter. So at the age of 14, we had an idea that, you know, maybe I can do something with sports. And right away we said, well, why don't we tap into Northeastern and talk with their resources if they have sport information departments. There's obviously athletes and coaches that he can interview. and Maybe we can do some interviews and see how that goes and kind of start on that path. Mm-hmm. And the school said, that's great. And then I asked the question, I really don't know why. But I said, I just have one question. What if there was no Northeastern University? What was the transition plan going to be? And they looked at me with a blank stare. 
And I asked them, I said, is there a problem here? And they said, yes. And the problem that I found out is that school systems don't really have resources to prepare somebody, you know, for what their life at the age of 22 is going to look like. That's not what they do. You know, what they do is they help with academics, they help you get prepared to go on to college, at which point then you start to build what your life's going to look like. Um, so then, which made sense, having been in uh, a couple of school systems, yeah, I couldn't really picture how successful we would be without Northeastern University. But mm-hmm. then right away it was like, but with Northeastern University, we can tap into tremendous resources, a great network to go along with the sense of belonging. And mm-hmm. I thought that there would be a much better chance of having the person reach their adult goals, you know, with a college mm-hmm. like Northeastern in their lives versus them not having that in their lives. And that's kind of what started to make me think about maybe creating a model where we could scale this for more kids. And then where it all kind of came together was the following year. So the second year, which would have been, you know, last year, Mm -hmm. um, was really good. So we won the championship, went to the NCAAs for the first time in 24 years. But Max and I also went on our first road trip, and we played at Harvard University. And Harvard University was also an NCAA team and a really good team. And when we got to Harvard, there really was no seating, handicap seating for Max to kind of be near the bench that we were used to. So I asked the coaches, I said, can Max sit on the bench? Mm-hmm. And they said, absolutely. So we moved the chair, we slid his wheelchair in, and all of a sudden he's sitting on the bench. The game's on Nesson. Um, our bench was across from the Nesson cameras. So my phone's blowing up saying, hey, I see Maxie on TV. You know, that's fantastic. The only problem was Harvard's good. So it was pretty clear about four minutes ago that we were going to lose. And I turned to Max, and I see his lips start to quiver, and I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, we're going to have a meltdown on national Mm -hmm. TV, on the bench. And I turned to him, and I said, Maxie, you're on the bench. I said, look at your guys. You know, they're all sharing for each other. And he looks at me, he looks at the guys, looks back at me, and regulates himself for the first time. Mm-hmm. And, and he's done it ever since. And at that mm-hmm. point was the point where I said, wait a second, he can definitely, you know, he can be employed. He can have a life in If he can regulate himself, right. um, there's no reason why he can't reach his adult goals. And it was that time where I was kind of godsmacked and said, yeah, of course. You know, mm-hmm. you get your social norms from being part of a group. You know, you, you say something that doesn't work, you don't say it again. You say exactly. something that does work, and you get feedback, and you do say it again. So, mm-hmm. you know, people with disabilities oftentimes don't get those opportunities. Because no. how do you create these inclusion opportunities? And most of the time, you know, they're surrounded by other people with disabilities, and it kind of turns into a self-fulfilling prophecy. Absolutely. And Absolutely. It's a world of it's a world of dis. You know, I say there is no dis in my ability. It's just I have to come at things um, now in a new way. It doesn't mean I can't do what I used to do or I can't or I'm not capable. It just means, you know, you can't see my my injury and how I do how I do things, you know, so so I really commend you for what you've created. The mission statement for your organization, you're with us dot org is to create an inclusive opportunity with able-bodied college groups for young adults with disabilities. And it's beautiful. You've, you've taken everything life has, you've done and everything, all your experience and, and brought this to life. And it's absolutely incredible. Well, thank you very much. I mean, I think what we saw was an opportunity of, 
these college kids do this. We, we didn't have to change their lives. You know, all we had to do was kind of bring a thought to them saying, hey, wh- why can't someone that has that same interest as you be part of your group? And mm-hmm. would you be interested, you know, in supporting someone who, you know, you're, gonna, you're their peer group because of they have the same interest as you. You know, it doesn't mean that they don't need to get admitted to the college to be part of your peer group. Um, not in, not in college. So, mm-hmm. you know, and the college students, I got to say to their credit, you know, were incredibly open to the idea. You know, mm-hmm. once college students, obviously we all have our issues. Acceptance is not one of them. Um, not for college <laughs> students. They, you know, mm-hmm. how you look, what your gender is, all sexual preference. Really, it's, you know, they're, mm-hmm. they're open to those things a lot more than maybe my generation was. Right. Um, and then it was a case of, well, all right. So at first it was, geez, let's, this is great. Let's give these people, you know, let's give people like Max an opportunity to be part of a group of typical peers around their interests. Um, but then it was kind of now that we're over a year in, it was like, well, wait a second. How can we kind of tap into as many resources as possible? And, mm-hmm. and what we found is... You know, people want to help people. They just need, you know, some mechanism to do it. Mm-hmm. So when we went to different people and said, hey, Max wants to be a sports reporter, but this is kind of a barrier. You know, a barrier is he doesn't really have a lot of opportunity to interview, you know, people that that are high-level athletic people. Right away, the school said, well, we'll connect you with the baseball team. Our baseball team's doing great. You can do as many interviews as you want. So mm-hmm. he started to do interviews, and at first, you know, he, he wasn't very good at it. But then he got better, and he got better, and he got better. And then all of a sudden, he really enjoyed kind of covering the team, and he probably did like four or five interviews. Mm-hmm. And, and then that led into, we actually said, geez, we knew that the Cape Cod Baseball League has, you know, it's the best amateur league in the country. And we were, figuring, you know, wondering if there was a chance that any of the players were playing down there, Um because maybe that's not to really Max could interview some more people. Sure enough, one of the assistant coaches from Northeastern was coaching one of the teams in the Cape League. So that opened us up to the Wareham, um, the Harwich Mariners, which then led to more interviews. Now Max is interviewing people from North Carolina, North Carolina State, Virginia Tech, um, Georgia Tech, and guys that have been drafted, people that have been drafted by the Red Sox. And now it gives him a, no, a whole other opportunity to start to to work mm-hmm. on his interview skills. And now what he's working on now is um, creating a blog. It's going to be oh. hosted at Northeastern. Um, he's got actually a group of engineering students that are helping kind of program his communication device to make it more efficient. And mm-hmm. it just kind of keeps snowballing, you know, of, all right, mm-hmm. well, if we can just kind of help connect the dots, just like anybody, you know, creating, all right, how do we bring these resources in? Who knows somebody? Where's the network? Um, then what it's done is, you know, Max at the age of 17 is starting to picture what his life's going to look like at 22, and it's starting to become more real, which right. then gets him more excited, which then leads to him having a better sense of uh, a quality of life, which then gives me a better quality of life. Exactly. It's um, 
Yeah, it's purpose and passion, right? He found he found his why. He found something that really spoke to his heart. And it doesn't matter, you know, what you look like, you know, if you're standing up or in a wheelchair or whatever. It he found something that really spoke to him inside in a deep and meaningful way. And now you you know, his life has purpose and passion. So he's he's really lighting it up. And I just wanted to go back because I, I watched really powerful from the uh, basketball coach, Bill Cohen. And, you know, he, because Max, as you said, was a part of the team, the Huskies. And, um, you know, the coach said he wanted Max to inspire the athletes because of Max's positive attitude that Max knew what good team was and that he never gave up. And, he, and the coach also said that they wanted an ex- a role model to be better people. And that Max knew the what the essence of a winner was. So I love that and that he's truly exemplifying that and that you were able to take that and shift that into this organization. Yeah, it's been, I mean, uh, Coach Cohen is amazing, Coach McLaughlin, uh, Coach McDonald, Coach, you know, right on down, Coach Markwood, Coach Hole, all the way down the line have been fantastic. And, and so have the players. And, you know, I, I don't think I was, I knew the impact that it had on my guys, you know, back mm-hmm. when I was coaching, and I hope that it would have the same. And, and I think, if anything, it probably has more impact because Max is now older. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny because I always say to Coach, geez, you guys have changed Max's life. And he always says the same thing. He always says, Mike, our guys are getting more out of this than Max's. And, you know, if, if through Max's life story, you know, he can help share, like you said, perseverance. And, you know, he does come with a smile no matter what's happening. And, mm-hmm. you know, when people think that, you know, their life is tough and they're dealing adversity, and then you look over at Max, it's mm-hmm. hard not to say, wait a second, we can get through this. This isn't as bad as it seems. And, exactly. Um, and it's really been fantastic. And to see the relationships form, you know, because the cool thing about college is, you know, you got new people coming through all the time. So Max being three years in, you know, he's had a couple of recruiting classes. So you got new freshmen coming in every year. You have people that are graduating, but you know, he's he's connected to the new guys from the time they're in high school because he's part of their recruiting visits. And and it's really interesting that I would say, I mean, he's got some real close kids that are seniors that are graduating that have really impacted his life. But he's even he's as close or even closer to the freshmen because, you know, now that we kind of understand how to, how to tell the why and, and how to incorporate it, you know, guys come into the program looking forward to Max being there. And where before there was, I mean, obviously at the beginning there was a piece of, all right, so, so what is this? What are we supposed to do? How does this work? Um, and now that we're able to kind of package it, like you said, I love what you said about the why and the purpose. You know, mm-hmm. once they hear them and understand what we're trying to do, they get more engaged. And it's like, okay, so how can we help? And exactly. which has been really cool. And and like I said, it started to now touch, you know, different aspects of the school. I mean, we have partnership with um, the, they have an enabling engineering program, which is about five at Northeastern, about 500 engineering students break up into groups and create devices for people with disabilities to, to make their life better. And they're working on a couple of devices for Max, but also working on some other devices for other kids that are in our program. And then 
the human service program is working directly with us for us to create assessment tools. And how can we tie this into their classes? And how can we measure that we're doing what we hope we're doing, quality of life, teaching lessons and leadership and empathy and things like that. And, and it's amazing the minds that are there. And then just recently, we partnered with um, the ABA program, so the Applied mm-hmm. Behavior Analysis Program, for them to help supply those services to our kids that have autism that are in the program. And, and the goal is that, again, I think, like you said, Karen, everything flows both ways. That, mm-hmm. you know, it's not a diss thing. It's, you know, the person, you know, with the disability is showing their ability. Um, and then you have college students that are learning from it and giving back. And it's really, you know, starting to morph into a very fulfilling, cool model. Mm-hmm. It's really being built by the students at the school. You know, we're trying to guide them. I'm trying to coach them and point them in the right direction. But what we're real excited about is that, you know, we've had nine different colleges where students have said, hey, that person likes what we do. Well, make sure that they're with us and, you know, let them know that, that they're with us. And we want to help build this out for you and spread it to other groups within the campus and so we can help more people. Mm-hmm. I think that's beautiful. And, you know, Michael, we're going to come up on a quick break, so I'm going to ask you and the listeners to please stay with us, and we'll be back in just a moment. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. We go through all kinds of challenges in life. How we deal with them is a different story. If we carry them on our shoulders, we can experience health problems, relationship issues, and other negative aspects these challenges can pose. Jeanette Abney's Precious Predicaments is here to help you pick up and sort out the pieces through education and encouragement. You don't have to live in fear and pain. Let's find solutions together. Precious Predicaments is heard live every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Are you in your own driver's seat? Tune in to a program that will get you there based on what others have managed to do through challenges in their lives and how they persevered. Tune in to The Real Deal with Danielle Delaney. On our show, we use real issues and experts to help you reclaim your life. Danielle and her guests are here to steer you in the right direction. Make sure that you are here every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's time to harness your power. Tune in to The Lori Moss Show, Better Job, Better Life. Learn about what isn't being said in business that keeps you stuck, under-recognized, and overlooked. Listen in on the exciting, sometimes awkward, and often sensitive subjects that aren't covered during the 9 to 5. What should be? Transform from being stuck to being sought after with Lori's proven concepts. Revolutionize the way you work and up-level your professional presence with the expert in professionalism, Lori Moss. The Lori Moss Show, Better Job, Better Life, can be heard every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are listening to The Sky's the Limit with Karen Levitt. 
If you have a comment or question about the show, we encourage you to send an email to the sky's the limit show at gmail.com. That's the sky's the limit show at gmail.com. And remember to use the hashtag the gift is the shift all over social media and encourage others to discover the program. Now, back to Karen Levitt. Hi, welcome back to The Sky's the Limit. This is your host, Karen Levitt, with my featured guest this week, Michael Polanski, founder of You'reWithUs.org. And the vision for You're With Us, it trains mentors from college groups, provides customized group education training specific to the group's disabled participant. And Michael, I want to talk a little bit about that because that's really something that's been, I feel, really needed and missing and you, you've created this great organization. So when we first got into it, it was, you know, how do we supply supports, which are all going to be kind of customized because everyone's different. So mm-hmm. we knew that it, it wasn't going to be like a plug-and-play type of thing, and it wasn't going to be a match-and-leave type of thing. Um, but we, what we did feel confident about was that if we're able to kind of describe what's going on, to the college mm-hmm. group and to the college students that they would come up with solutions. And that's what we've seen. And, you know, largely, you know, as we've listened and worked together with these college students, they're the ones that have helped us build out the training. They're the ones that said, well, here's what we'd like to know more about. Um, and what it was interesting was more, it wasn't like, hey, you know, give us all the detailed information around autism. It was more like, you know, tell us about the person that's going to be with us. And mm-hmm. tell us about, you know, what are some keys to them having good experience? What, what are some things, you know, like Max having a temper tantrum, what, what do we do when that happens? And, and then more importantly, it was once, okay, so these are kind of what we can expect. It was, all right, well, what does Max want to do? You know, we have a, we have a young adult that's for the Salem State baseball team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what they found, you know, he's got a, he has autism, he's 19, and, um, you know, he's not going to be able to graduate from high school just because mm-hmm. cognitively, but he wants to be a coach. He loves baseball, he loves sports. And so one of the mentors on his baseball team said, well, geez, why don't you audit a class? We have a coaching class here at Salem State. And mm-hmm. if you like, you know, I'll talk to the professor and see if you can attend the class. You know, next semester, we got three baseball kids that are in the class. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, the professor said, sure, we'd love to. You know, you like coaching? Great. Why don't you come into our class? And now we lucked out that the professor had experience with people with disabilities. But it's turned into one of the coolest dynamics we've seen where, you know, Nick's able to audit the class. He's doing quite well. A couple of times I bounced in on mm-hmm. Nick and the professor during office hours. And it would be just like you walked into any college with a student and a professor talking about what the lesson was, next steps, how can I do better. And it was just, you could see this connection. And you could Hmm. see that there was a relationship that was building. You know, that is, you know, before it was how do you access education if, you know, because of our state requirements, you're not able to get, you know, a, a high school diploma. And, you know, one thing we thought was, geez, well, you know, anyone can audit a class. And if we're doing that with support, which would mean you go in there with your baseball teammates, well, why wouldn't you be able to soak up as much information as you can and see where it takes you? 
And so now we're talking about what classes is he going to audit next semester. And it's funny because we're sitting there talking with the professor, and he's like, all right, well, this this class is really popular. I think you really like it. I think you do well in it. And, he, and mm-hmm. Nick's doing assessments just like anybody else. And he's like, all right, so you're going to have to talk to the registrar. We're going to have to save you a seat. And we're kind of looking at him like, you know, Nick's not a registered student here. And finally goes, oh, yeah, that's right. And he said, oh, you're just going to audit the class. Yeah, so you're all set. So, of course, you're welcome. But that thought that the professor was treating him like any typical college student, mm-hmm. you know, is that, that's the year with us model is that, you know, when you get the opportunity to include people that, you know, have a disability or aren't like you, all of a sudden you realize they're just like you and, and you treat them the same. And that's our right. hope. If we can bring that to as many college groups, other mm-hmm. community groups, um, you know, I've been trying to figure out, I know from the beginning that I thought this could become a movement. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think what the movement is, is finding the support systems for people uh, lifelong. Because right. a lot and of you- times, you know, when you turn 21, 22, and you're in the adult world with adult services, your opportunities are limited. And exactly. what we're looking at is, geez, if we can build this out appropriately, why couldn't you be part of the Northeastern men's basketball team for the rest of your life? Why couldn't mm-hmm. you be part of the Salem State baseball team for the rest of your life? And why couldn't that somehow work into maybe you continuously audit classes? And that becomes part of your day. And you help the professor and, you know, and, and that becomes part of your day. And if that leads to an employment opportunity, great. And maybe it's a thing that you can only, you know, maybe you only have the stamina so to be, you know, to work a three, four hour work day. Well, why can't mm-hmm. you spend the rest of that day at the college that you're connected to? So I think as we're kind of looking at the vision, which we started mm-hmm. with, you know, mm-hmm. that's the long-term goal is how do we help somebody create, you know, the type of adult day that they want and how mm-hmm. do we support it? And, um, and it does look like, you know, now that we're currently working with state agencies, that there's some funding sources and opportunities to kind of be creative in, in creating a, a work or, or what your day looks like. Because um, I think the biggest piece is, you know, Karen, as you know, it's, it's this social connection. You know, it's, Absolutely. I think a lot of times, yeah, a lot of times people get caught up in employment, which is important um, for sure. But I don't think there's any research out there that says that a job is linked to your quality of life. And yeah, well, no. And I, I wanted to go back, if I could, because on your website, you'rewithus.org, under benefits, you, you so beautifully say this. You say, it has been said a person's quality of life is a directly linked to the quality of the relationships in their, your life. You're With right. Us provides adolescents, young adults with the unique opportunity to belong to a group, just like any other person would or could, and derive the typical benefits people receive from out-of-school activities. So I think you know, you, you've honed in on that, and I really feel like that's so worthwhile to share, um, you know, because well, it's not I just about that. athletics. It's about truly having a life and living. Yeah. No, and I tell people, I mean, when I got into this, I knew that, People most influenced by their peers after the age of twelve. So I knew that was an important piece. I knew I learned about five years ago from Bessel Vanderkoop, who runs the Boston Trauma Center out here. You know that the number one way to get through trauma was physical activity and being part of the group. 
Um, mm-hmm. What I didn't know is that Harvard has been doing a 75-year study on mm-hmm. 75 years on where happiness comes from, quality of life. And the number one indicator has been quality relationships. And right. so, you know, that kind of tied it all together of, well, how do you have those opportunities to have quality relationships? And we felt you're with us could kind of help supply that. And, um, mm-hmm. and that's, you know, I think at the end, I learned when I was in the veteran space, we were lucky enough to have Charles Curry, who was the lead administrator for SAMHSA, the Substance Abuse Mental Health Administration. Mm-hmm. And he was there when the institutions were broken up and people were, you know, kind of sent back into the community. And when they went around and asked, right now that you're no longer an institution, what would you like? What do you need? And, you know, they're expecting, well, we need money. We need, um, you know, uh, you know, we need some entitlements and things like that. And, you know, we need some mental health care. And, but they came back and said, listen, we want what everyone wants. We want mm-hmm. a home. We'd like to have a job. And we'd like to have a date on the weekend. We'd like to have a social connection just like everybody else. And exactly. I remember when that hit me or when I heard that, I said, geez, all right, how do we get Max connected? And what's that going to look like? And, and those are the things that I would want for Max's brother and Max's sister. And now I think that what's really cool is that there's an opportunity for Max to have that. So, and then the goal yeah. is how do we help more and more people have that right. same life in the community? everybody desires. And you know, what I want to ask is, like I said, your organization helps so many. I I wonder, do you see um, yourwithus.org becoming possibly a role model for other states, other communities to adapt to, to adopt? Because there's so many people throughout the country that could benefit from this. You know, you're in Massachusetts, you're near, near me. And, and it's beautiful what you've done and, you know, created a resource for people. But I said, like, I wonder if this could possibly be a model for other states and communities to adopt. Yeah, we think it can really be scalable just because what you really need is just a college. And there's over a thousand colleges across the country. And, you know, we're in Boston and Massachusetts specifically. I think we have 94 mm-hmm. you know, four-year college institutions. So there's a a great amount of opportunities, but that doesn't mean it doesn't mean it can't be done in Iowa and Minnesota and Alabama. It was interesting. Um, so, you know, another ripple effect that a lot of people talk about is, you know, these college students are going to go on and, you know, they're going to have their life and their life, you know, we're at some real, you know, um, strong colleges. So their life's probably going to include hiring people. And, mm-hmm. you know, so there was this thought of, geez, you know, in the next generation or down the road, these people are going to be way more um, enthusiastic about hiring people with disabilities and, and even more empathetic and accepting. And my thought was, well, I don't think we have to wait for that because these college students' parents are already CEOs. So if they go back and tell their family, you know, what a great experience this was, maybe that'll spark something. And, and I shared that story because it was about three weeks ago. And um, we're going through senior night. And Max's mentor, Zach Stahl, he's from Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And um, he's been great. So he's a senior, though. And, and he's really, you know, he's got a great relationship with Max. And so the mom was at one of the games late in the year. And, and she said, geez, 
you know, I just want to tell you the impact that, you know, Max has had on my son. And if there's any way I can help your organization, um, I'd love to. And I said, that's great, Mrs. Stoll. You know, so, so what do you do? And she said, I'm the CEO of United Healthcare. She said, is there any way that you'd want to take this across the country? And mm-hmm. the answer, I said, the answer is yes, but we're not there yet. And so I do think long-term, I don't see any reason why, you know, this cannot be implemented. Any place that there's a college, any place where there's people with disabilities. Because mm-hmm. the one thing that is consistent is colleges have a lot of student groups. Uh, I think Northeastern themselves right. have three, 300 student groups. You know, mm-hmm. and it's not just athletics, it's music and drama and social justice and, and, um, poetry and engineering and, and it just goes on and on and on and on. And so, cause the key I think is to connect you're, you're the person to, through the interest into the community. And I have trouble picturing how else you can do that. You know, if it doesn't, just cause colleges have such a social capital and such social cachet and, and you know, there's a lot of research that have said that that is the time that you feel most connected in your life because then you go off and you get busy and you raise a family and you start to get more isolated and you're working all these crazy hours. Mm-hmm. And, then, mm-hmm. and I looked at them and said, geez, what a perfect environment for our kids, for people with disabilities, to be able to tap into that social cachet for the rest of their lives. Because the, one, the other thing I know about colleges is people go there and, they're there for the rest of their mm-hmm. life. I mean, we had people in our basketball programs that 40 years, you know, they were part of the program. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden the program almost takes the identity of, of the individual. You know, we're, we have people now that come back who are alum that first thing they say is, Hey, I, I want to be back. You know, JJ Berea, who plays for the Dallas Mavericks, you know, happened to be at one of the games that we didn't even know he was going to be there. And we roll in, and right away, JJ's like, Max, man, I've heard so much about you. So, so happy that you're part of our program, and da 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 da. And, um, you know, when I talk with the college students, they talk about how, you know, the, they can see the person's role within the group maturing, and that mm-hmm. that person actually becomes the, the stable cog, you know, that that people kind of rally around and, and want to be part of. So I, I really see no reason why it can't be successful in other states and across the country. We just want to make sure that we have uh, the system and the program in place so it can be effective every place we put it. Mm-hmm. And, and um, I wanted to and obviously ask... We're going to need oh, some money <laughs> to do that. Exactly. And I I apologize. I interrupted you. I apologize. I wanted to quickly go over. You've created a pilot program or a mentor program, right, for college students. Is that correct with your organization? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So what we did is we've started to work with, there's um, there's an organization in Northeastern, which is called Sport and Society. And, Mm -hmm. And what they do is kind of look at how sport can help influence social justice issues. And we felt that it was a great opportunity um, to kind of dig a little deeper into thoughts around leadership and empathy and acceptance and dealing with adversity. And, and how are we motivated and what are we trying to do? And so we started that. And um, so we started with an online, you know, that was helped develop through the both Sport and Society and Health and Human Services program. Um, as a starting point of, hey, you know, give us your feedback on what you think 
you know, and what are your thoughts and what are some indicators and what are some outcomes and what's, what are some things you want to get out of? And then what mm-hmm. that does is kind of give us a baseline of, okay, which topics can we dive deeper into and how can we incorporate that, you know, into the visits? And so that's kind of our next step is to continue to build that out where we're kind of doing experiential learning opportunities mm-hmm. um, involved with social learning kind of platform uh, mm-hmm. where, you know, the cool thing is, is we kind of take those lessons to you. Usually, you know, you go into the community if you're a college student. You go read at an elementary school or, or, you know, you go to a hospital or you go to some boys and girls club. You know, we, we actually happen to come to you. And, mm-hmm. and we are able to kind of build on those lessons by you doing what you do every day. And the hope is maybe we help you do it a little bit better because, you know, I can infuse what I learned in my sports psychology classes. And, and we have a three-star general um, retired who has lent us all his leadership tactics and techniques that he found to be successful in his 38 year uh, army career. And then we have the people, we have trauma therapists. I love it. There's, I love it. Yeah, and then you kind of, so you just start sharing these different thoughts. And right. there's a piece like, I think like you mentioned, Karen, you know, I feel like I had to learn a lot of this stuff myself um, mm-hmm. going through the journey. And so, you know, I wanted to read that book and, and I wanted to talk to that therapist and I wanted to do all that stuff, which was great. But there was a piece of me that said, why am I doing this when I'm in my 40s? Why didn't someone mm-hmm. kind of show me this stuff when I was in my 20s and I would have been more prepared? Um, so that's kind of the why behind We said, geez, you know what? We're 45 to 55 years old. Here are our key lessons that we've learned. You know, mm-hmm. they're just thoughts. Why don't we share them? And, right. you know, and if you're interested in it, we'll show you where you can take a deeper dive. Um, but at least let's start talking about these thoughts and see what you think. And maybe we'll even build better thoughts. You know, because mm-hmm. the one thing that I've found is these college kids are super smart. And um, it's really inspiring just to sit with them and mm-hmm. to see their minds work. Um, and the other cool thing is they don't know what the barriers are. Right. So, you know, they're not tainted in any way. They think they can solve the world and, and they probably can. Um but nobody says, oh, wait a minute, what about liability? What about this? What about that? What about that? You know, it's more of, you don't get caught in the muck. You have right. all these pure ideas, you know, coming from great minds, who oftentimes a lot of kids we're working with are in, you know, that's, that's the classes they're taking and they're able now to apply it, be it service learning class, be it a, a nonprofit class, be it a business class, be it, you know, up and down the curriculum. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then it allows them to kind of take that to the real world. You know, I thought when I got my master's in sports psychology, I was lucky because I would do the research, and then I would go to practice, and we had Dr. Tom Davis with our head coach, and it was like watching the book come to life. So it was like not only is it working there in black and white, but it's working here with these humans. And that was kind of the idea. I always thought, geez, I wonder if there's any way you could ever package this up. And maybe with the year with us, it's the way we can package it up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, you know, and I love it because, like you said, you know, we can learn from a book. We can, you know, I'm, I have a nursing background. We can learn about people and psychology and sociology and everything else. And then 
to have an experience with someone or a group of people that truly makes an impact in your life, that really uh, changes the way you view that. is is you know maybe you you view them differently now because you've had a one on one experience. Someone's touched your life, and I I love that you uh, you bring that to the table. You bring that right to, right up front. Well, thank you. There was, I think it was Deepak Chopra I heard mm-hmm. him say in, in a documentary called Finding Joe, which is about the hero's journey and Joe mm-hmm. Campbell. Um, and he said, you know, if you talk to a person's mind, you'll touch their mind. If you talk okay. to their heart, you'll touch their heart. But if you talk through your life, you can change lives. And exactly. I think, like you said, when you share that personal experience and it becomes real, it's like, hey, Max will never be able to do this again. All of a sudden, there's right. a shift. And right. now, all of a sudden, you know, I do think that there's an opportunity to learn at a higher level than, you know, maybe what's on the Internet or what's in a book. And, mm-hmm. um, but it's hard to find those opportunities. So we thought, geez, you know, let's make this more than make a wish. And let's make this more than, you know, just community service. This is, this is about relationships, which is the core of all things. And it is. So, you know, if, if we can learn how to have a good relationship, we're then going to learn how to be good leaders. And we're going to be good husbands. And we're going to be good, you know, mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers. And it just felt like, geez, it was win, 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 if we could package it appropriately. And, mm-hmm. uh, and that's mm-hmm. the journey we're on now. You know, we're lucky to have schools helping us with it, like Northeast University, Harvard University, Brandeis University. Amherst College, Endicott College, Salem State University, Clark University, Worcester State University, um, mm-hmm. you know, BU coming on board, Wentworth Institute coming on board, uh, Merrimack College coming on board, um, UMass Lowell right. coming on board, you know, and, and the other thing is we want to kind of get to the point where uh, we have our 10 to 15 colleges, but now let's kind of saturate those colleges because I think if because what we've seen is, you know, we've gone from one person at Northeastern to now right. five to we're going to anticipate having to 10 to 12 for next year. That all of a sudden brings in hundreds of students um, mm-hmm. into the mix. And that's kind of the cool dynamic of your with us is, you know, for every person with disability, there's 20, 25 people that are supporting them because of the size of the group. And now all of a sudden you start to multiply that and it's like, geez, we get 10 people, but we have like 400 students. Mm-hmm. you know, have been touched, have been impacted by it and can offer their thoughts, their resources, their network to help this person have a life of their choosing. And Michael, it looks like time always flies by and the program is coming to an end. So I want to, once again, give the listeners your information because they can reach you and volunteer or find out more information about your organization. So it's yourwithus.org. Y-O-U-R-E with us.org. And if you want to reach them for more information, it's Michael at yourwithus.org. And I want to thank you, Michael Polanski, so much for being my guest this week. It, it's an honor and a privilege. And you can also um, learn more on Facebook, right? Is that correct? Yourwithus.org on Facebook? Yeah, Facebook's a good place to find us because, you know, that's where we're able to show share our stories and what's going on and the updates. And um, so that's a great place to find us. We're also on Instagram and on Twitter. So 
we're not. I'm hoping we'll get some college kids to take over those accounts, and they'll make it even better. But um, you can definitely find us on social media. Thank you. Well, it's like I said, been a privilege to have you here this week, and what you've shared. I want to thank you and the listeners, and I'll see everyone back next week. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for The Sky's the Limit. Karen Levitt looks forward to having you tune in for another program next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Remember, the gift is the shift.